So in our value accelerator, leadership is last. You will have begun with decision dynamics, making better decisions faster, figuring out what matters. You're going to figure out how to reduce risk and keep your business less risky. You're going to have a clear vision of your company of the future and the tools that you can use to reach your objectives. We're going to talk about financial acceleration, productivity, sales and marketing, and then we come to leadership. Now, why did we put it last? That to a lot of people probably wouldn't make sense, but we put it last for a reason. You will have been at whatever speed you were traveling when we started doing value acceleration. By the time you're through sprint six, which is financial acceleration, you're going to be moving at about 100 miles an hour, much faster than you were, and your organization is going to look completely different and your practices are going to look completely different. So now you're a value-creating machine by the time you've gotten through those. And now we're going to use leadership acceleration to take you from 100 miles an hour to 200 miles an hour. And you as an organization are going to be able to bear that kind of acceleration. You will not break. With that being said, this is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast. And we're doing a deep dive continuation of a podcast we did previously with Sean Hutchinson of SVA Value Accelerators. And we also have with us today is Joe Slater. He's the lead advisor of Decision Dynamics and the SVA Leadership Accelerator. So we are going to dig into leadership acceleration. Leadership acceleration, making leadership go faster, faster, right? So as Sean said in, in the intro, at this point, your organization has been through a transformation already. There's a lot of really good content and technique and process and ways that you're going to be thinking and operating in much more effective ways. The challenge now is, so I'm the business owner and I have to make sense of all this. It's still me, right? The point of the transition readiness and all of this is to allow owner independence. So we've got to get somehow figure out how to get that leadership transferred from the owner to the rest of the organization, right? And at that point, there will have been leaders emerge. Every single one of these sprints results in leaders arriving and showing up, right? And now they're not showing up from outside of your organization. They're showing up from inside of your organization, which is a really neat thing to watch. And I suspect you probably know who some of those folks are likely going to be already. We've got to accelerate that process. And we're going to make a very clear focus on empowering and releasing the need for the owner to be making these decisions and giving the freedom and the authority to that new leadership team. There's an aspect of design to this. So up until this point, we've been focused on a lot of fundamentals and specific functional areas and specific content areas. This is about putting all of that into practice. So there's an aspect of this that now we're designing the new leadership team. There's actually a design aspect to the leadership accelerator where we're building the team that's going to exist that allows that owner to be independent and have some choices about what they do next. That's the essence of the leadership accelerator. And that manifests itself in ways that you recognize when you see it in place. What do you typically notice when the organization has gone through the six steps and they're now accelerating with their leadership program? What do you see? What are the characteristics of that organization? First of all, great pride. At every level within the organization, people love to talk about it. They love to talk about the place that they work, the things that they're accomplishing, and they like to say that it's not due to them, it's due to everyone working together, that no one had necessarily a larger impact than anyone else in the organization. Everybody was accountable. So pride is a big piece of it. 
Second, confidence. So no matter what comes their way, they know that as a group, as a group of leaders who have taken on the challenge of building value within this business, that they can handle it. So those skills are present. It's also, I think what you would also see is a certain level of comfort, relief on the part of the owner that sometimes to their dismay, maybe a little bit, and it could be ego or it could just be a change. They don't have to be there for this organization to be remarkably successful. So now they've been able to shift their perspective away from, I got to be at work every day to, I've built a legacy here that's going to outlast me, that the people who are working here today, the people that I care about the most, because I can tell you, if the owners that we work with who are thinking about transitioning ownership in their business, especially if they're doing it to an outside party, which we all know is not that common, right? So there are lots of ways you can transition ownership. But for those that are selling to a third party, they're always concerned about the fate of their employees. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing that they'll say is, I want to make sure that my employees are taken care of. So for them to be able to say, we built such a business here, such a legacy. I have a legacy in place. I've got people that are leading. I can watch it happening every day. And I know as a result of this shift, they're taking care of themselves. I don't have to take care of them anymore. They're taking care of themselves. They grew up. Right. I watched them flourish. And it's because we created an environment where that could happen. Right. So that's what you see. That's what you hear. Not an easy journey. It is hard. Right. There's a lot of determination that goes into it. But the important thing for me, I think that I've realized over the years when I've talked about leadership or seen real leadership in an organization is that it's not about picking leaders. And it's absolutely, in my mind, it's absolutely false that people are born to be a leader. I don't believe it. I believe that there are leaders of all types. For instance, there isn't one type of leader. There are a lot of different types of leaders. But by creating an environment where leadership can actually emerge and flourish, you will see lots of people become leaders. They will find their way to leadership because we are as humans ambitious and we're also aspirational. We want to do better. So ultimately, we should want those around us to do better. We're all part of the same group. So those are the three things that I can think of that I've seen, but it just feels better. At the end of the day, it feels better. When you get to this point, what do you recognize on the financial metrics of a company? Do you see better retention, better attraction? Sure. What do you see? Yeah, at this point, retention of the right folks has gone way up. I mean, because you've yeah. already created a culture or improved on the culture that you already had that the right people want to be there. And, you know, the dead wood can't survive because everyone else is holding them accountable. And it's just a toxic environment for anybody who's a throttle or a drain on the performance of the organization. So you know, turnover goes down for the right people because we've already weeded out a lot of that. From the perspective of attracting talent, you end up being the magnet that gets the best people because your employees aren't just coming to work and going home. They're going out and they're talking to their friends. So you become an employer of choice. Your team gets to be picky about who they hire. Because remember, this is not about you making the decisions anymore, at least not all of them. You're making the right ones, but we want to be pushing that decision making down. So even the recruiting, it's not you making those decisions. It's somebody on your team, right? You've got leaders now that That's can make right. these choices on their own and they're better at it than you are. I think CEOs or owners, they have a key role in setting, making sure that the values that are important to the organization are sound and consistently lived within the company. 
And I think they have a key role in strategy, right? They have to set the direction of the company. They can do it as a team, certainly. But at the end of the day, the owner needs to have a strong voice in that because it's their money, right? They have a right to have that voice and they should exercise. It's fine. Everything else, quite frankly, shouldn't be on their desk. And that may be a hard thing for owners to hear in some cases. But as I said earlier, what you sense when a, a true leadership environment is there and leaders are emerging every day with great accountability, the owner actually starts to say, this feels better. This really feels much less stressful. And I'm seeing my money go to work in very efficient ways. And I'm starting to see, if I haven't seen it big, I'm starting to see a return on investment that I wasn't seeing before. I've heard often, I've got the millennials as kids. Yeah. And they says, we really have a hard time finding a mentor. Do you find the incidence of leadership and mentorship increases in an organization like this? It does. And it happens at all levels. So similar to what we're saying, the leader is not at the top anymore. The mentor is not at the top either. People start mentoring each other. In fact, in many of the organizations we've worked with, everyone wants to be everyone else's mentor in their area of subject matter expertise. And it doesn't turn into chaos. It actually turns into a really supportive helpful group of people that if they see someone struggling, they'll offer advice and the environment is there that people want to, they know that that advice is being given in the right way because this has become habit. You know, I'm remembering the podcast that we did on decision dynamics, right? And we talked about how, well, what happens when that owner goes away for three days and they come back and they get into their email box and they see all these emails of which only a tiny fraction were meant for them. By the time we're at the leadership accelerator, what's happening is they can go away for two weeks. They come back and the only emails they have in their box are from their leadership team and their status, their right. updates, their performance. Their, here's the key results that we got that week so that you can see the pattern. It's not decisions that need to be made. It's not a client that had a problem that needed to be solved right now because those things are being handled by the rest of the organization. That's got to be the most significant from an owner's perspective and just how they're living their day to day. That's a big deal. And they're doing the $5,000 an hour work. This is important. That's what they see the most is I'm spending my time on things that build value in the organization. If I have other shareholders, I'm building value for them. If I'm the only shareholder, I'm building value for me. But I built a better company that ultimately creates wealth, not just for me, but everybody. We like wealth in a company. We're not going to shy away from wealth, but we need it to benefit more than just the owner in order for the culture to be healthy, right? So wealth it translates into opportunity and opportunity is what people ultimately care about a lot. So there may be some out there thinking, hey, this sounds a little soft, right? And I could see it. I get it. It's not soft. So there is a direct tie, obviously, to the financial performance of the organization, the stability, the continuity of the organization. In some ways, continuity risk is the greatest threat to value. Whether you see it as volatility in a market, whether it emerges as the inability to manage the organization's cash flow appropriately, volatility or discontinuity in operations is a big black or red flag, right? So you see a lot of things happen as a result of better leadership that are very concrete. You can see them in the numbers. But I think the other thing that we have to emphasize, that we have to plug into, is that there have been a lot of what things do I worry about? What keeps me up at night as a CEO or as an owner? Consistently, employee engagement comes up right near the top of the list, if not number one. So the owner works up and is basically saying, are my people with me? 
do I have a vision that they believe in? Do they believe in me? Do they believe in the vision? Do they believe in the company? Are they going to leave? Am I going to lose the good people? Right? Am I going to lose my good people because they're not locked in and I haven't done enough for them, perhaps? That's what we're talking about. And yet, a lot of owners will say, uh, they'll shy away from the employee engagement and leadership question because it seems a little soft. In my opinion, that's why we end with it, in a sense, because it is the thing that puts the jet fuel in the tank and it carries the organization into the future. We've created a lot of momentum. The leadership will maintain that momentum and accelerate it. For the other stakeholders, when you talk to a company or an owner that has a board that they report to, what's the board's reaction to this process? To the leadership process or the whole value acceleration? The whole, well, leadership process specifically, uh -huh. and then I guess a follow on with the whole process. Yeah. Well, the board's certainly looking for continuity, right? They do not want a situation where the business is dependent on the owner. Yeah. That should be their prime directive is to make sure that gets fixed. So from that perspective, this is all something that the board gets very excited about, right? Because this is making sure that those decisions that need to be made to implement all this great stuff we've been talking about and carry it into the future is not dependent on the owner. That's right. So I sit on a lot of boards, corporate boards, for-profits and non-profits. In every case, it's a fiduciary role, and I take it very, very seriously. It's not a board of advisors. So we, as a board in a company, hire one person, and it's the CEO. Let's say that an owner is the only owner, right, of a company, but they've made the decision to practice good governance and have a board that has independent advisors on it, which, by the way, increases the value of the company. If they're the CEO, they should be saying to the board, I want you to evaluate my performance according to a set of criteria that we can all agree on. One of the criteria that the board must insist on is that if something happens to the CEO or the owner, this organization, as a fiduciary, this organization will continue to run as it is expected to run at its best. So it begs a question for me as a board member, am I worried about something happening to the owner? Am I worried about the CEO deciding this isn't do we have a succession plan? Do we have succession leaders in the organization that could step in with a moment's notice? And we won't miss a step. We won't miss a beat. That's the kind of responsibility that the board has in any organization if it's functioning properly. Now, governance is a form of leadership. And part of the leadership acceleration, I think, has to be to not just develop individual leaders in the organization, but to develop a leadership structure and a leadership environment, which extends all the way to the board of directors. If they take it seriously, they take their own leadership responsibility seriously, they'll take this seriously. The reaction from the clients, the folks that go through this process, what do you hear these business owners say, the reaction of their clients? The reaction of the customers? Yeah. To... When you see a company, a company before the process. I see. And you've got the company after the process. Yeah. And there's a reaction. You know, there's the stakeholders. There's the lending folks. Sure. There's the board. Sure. There's the customers and there's yep. the employees. You bet. To some extent, it's the same as what the board has, right? If I've got a business that is dependent on this company to provide me with a service or a product, what I want is to know that it's going to be there tomorrow and next year and when I need it to be. That's right. And if I get a sense that that organization is dependent on, you know, Frank, and I've known Frank for 15 years, but, you know, Frank's getting up there. What's going to happen when Frank's gone? I want to know that that business is going to be there to be able to keep my business thriving. So, I mean, the reaction to the extent that they even notice 
would be positive. And I think from the viewpoint of a true leadership organization turns into a service organization as well. So what you'll see, I think, that customers may not have seen before, you're in an environment where it's not a leadership environment. The model is not leader, leader. It's one leader. Then someone calls and they have a problem, right? And they keep getting passed around talking to three or four people who are all supposed to know what they're doing, but they don't know enough. And ultimately, they're getting more and more frustrated because their problem is not being solved. They're being held up by it. And, you know, everything is just feeling like it's breaking down. And that's the kind of customer relationship, obviously, that nobody can afford to have. And the customer can't afford to have it either. So what happens in a leadership environment is that they make one call and the first person that they get to, it might be the receptionist, let's say. That problem starts getting solved right there, that moment, because people have access to the information that they need to begin that process. They may not be able to solve it all the way through themselves, but they at least can take responsibility for we have a customer, they're in distress, something didn't happen. We made a promise to the customer that for whatever reason didn't get kept. So we're going to go find out why, right? If I have to leave my station, if I have to call somebody over and say, here's the situation, it's urgent, let's figure this out in the next 10 minutes because I want to call them back and tell them where we are. Right. And I'm going to call them every 10 minutes after that to tell them what's going on until we have resolved that problem. That's what customers will see. And they'll be saying, okay, I had three suppliers because I have to have three suppliers, but I am going to start ordering a little more from these folks over here because they have now become my preferred vendor, right? What do you hear from the lending institutions that lend to these businesses? What's their reaction to when the companies embark on this journey? Yeah, so... So banks are interesting animals these days. <laughs> <laughs> these days? Yeah. It, I know. The role of a banker has changed, I think, not for the better. If we think back, you know, 20, 30 years, the role of a banker was a merchant role, right? So it took an abiding interest in their clients. First of all, they had far fewer clients than they have to service today. So the model has changed. But bankers were interested in the story, not just today's story, but the story of where the business is heading in the future. Because they knew the story, they understood how they could fit into that picture and help the owner make it happen. The relationship has changed today to be much more transactional and much more infrequent, right? So bankers might talk to their clients once a quarter, twice a year, whatever, and, and only in certain situations. But with good bankers, with bankers who kind of are empowered by their institutions and are themselves interested in creating that old kind of relationship, they are asking questions about continuity and succession and owner independence because it's part of the credit risk. We are now seeing, interestingly enough, credit officers asking their relationship managers in the commercial side of the bank to check into what the plan is for the baby boomer business owners transition or not transition, but do they have not just management succession in place, but where are they headed with the ownership? Because from the credit officer's standpoint, everybody may be paying their bills on time, right? And from the traditional kind of credit risk perspective, everything's fine. everything looks pretty good. The regulators are pretty happy. But now the regulators are starting to say to the credit officers, we think there's another layer of risk in here. It's that all these baby boomers are starting to move towards a time when they need to make some decisions, either voluntarily or involuntarily. It will be imposed on them at the time of death that they're going to transition ownership in these businesses. And we'd really like to know something about the next generation. 
if you have an organization that has really strong, very deeply rooted leadership in the organization, credit officers are going to be a whole lot less nervous. And the bank is going to be a whole lot more willing to provide capital cheaply, by the way, to their client when they need it, because they believe in the story. They believe that the investments have been made. They understand that they're dealing with a very smart, capable organization at all levels. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, banks aren't interested enough yet in this particular area, but I talk to a lot of bankers and I know they're getting a lot more attuned, not just to what's going to happen with the transition, but operationally, how sound is this organization? When you walk into a true leadership organization, you feel it right away. No question. You know, thinking is looking at two businesses, let's say that they're virtually identical, except one's gone through the process, yeah. has all the seven steps in place, and it's cranking, and the other one is still got the one guy. Mm-hmm. What would you say the, if you can, characterize the multiple difference? Yeah. So there are three ways to increase the value of the business, increase your earnings, which is typically what owners and their teams will focus on the majority of the time. And that does drive value in the business. Margin management is really important. The more margin you can drive, especially at the gross profit level, the more interested we are in the business from a value creation standpoint. Reducing risk is the big category, and it's the thing that drives the increase in multiples for a lot of different reasons. But the top two risks in an organization which drive multiples down or make the business entirely untransferable. In other words, basically having zero value or just asset value, not even book value, just asset value, liquidation asset value. So if you, in those cases, the top two risks are customer concentration, right? Which could take industry concentration. It could be customer, it could be market, whatever, geographic. But any kind of concentration is going to concern us, doesn't necessarily automatically basically having too many eggs out, in one but basket. too many eggs in one basket. The second is owner reliance. And owner reliance when it's present is a real value killer. So not having owner reliance is in fact going to increase the multiple that could be applied to EBITDA or revenue, whatever that might be. So there are good reasons to care about it. Now, as to the difference between an organization that has high level of reliance on an owner versus one that has, you know, distributed leadership, let's say, and a culture that continues to develop it and get better at it, I would argue that in some cases, regardless of what the balance sheet and the income statements say, the highly owner reliant business might be zero. And the owner independent business that has the true leadership culture is Worth infinitely more. Some number than greater than zero. Yeah. Right? Infinitely yeah. more. So I think this issue, if you tie leadership, you, know, you could talk conceptually about leadership all day long. And it's fun. And it's right. It's an important concept. But if you tie it to the risk of owner reliance, which is really, these are the two ends of the spectrum that we're talking about. True leadership culture, right? Developing it every day. Emergent leaders showing up to the party and actually making a difference making right decisions faster, better. And then you've got owner-reliant businesses, which typically have leadership that has withered on the vine. Good people are leaving all the time. They can't seem to attract really quality people into the company. They're on that little hamster wheel and just, you know, it's a death spiral. And the only guy that can really, or, you know, the only man or woman, whoever the owner might be, who can say anything about that, who has any responsibility for it, is the owner. 
right? And nobody else can step up to that plate because they're all gone. Then the difference is infinite. So with infinite value proposition, how do people find you on social media? So LinkedIn is a really great way to find us. So we have a company page, SVA Value Accelerators. Just look it up, do a search for it. My LinkedIn page is linkedin.com slash n slash Sean P. Hutchinson. I've always wondered why LinkedIn did that. I don't really get it. But, and then Joe, yours is? LinkedIn slash Joe Slater, S-L-A-T-T-E-R. Yeah. And, you know, our website, buildvaluetoday.com and all the contact information that you need for all of our advisors and partner teams are there. And so, as we've said before, the only mistake, folks, the listeners can make is if they have a question, not reaching out. That's right. And two, you guys have a solution or something exciting showing up in the first quarter of 19. Yeah, it's something really new and exciting, I think. We are establishing something called the Ready for Next Academy. In there will be online learning opportunities, both in the forms of a la carte online learning, as well as curriculum courses and available to everybody. If you're in that kind of explorer category where you're just trying to get familiar with some of the concepts that we've talked about throughout this series, then you can do it there. We're also launching mastermind groups, which are groups of eight to 12 owners, non-competing businesses, which will support each other through a one-year program, peer supported, expert facilitated, which covers, which tracks the value accelerator sprint by sprint by sprint, but it's a lighter version of it. Either of those two ways are a great way to wade in before you might want to make a larger commitment to the full value accelerator. So, and that's found where? Nineteen. It will be at readyfornextacademy.com. Guys, this has been fascinating. I really appreciate you taking the time. And this is the last of the modules. That's right. Thanks so much. Thank you.